say good morning. I know that we're glad you're here today. Uh, we started a journey in the book of Exodus a few weeks back in a series titled Out of Bondage. Uh, we'll get through the first half of the book. It'll take us all the way through August. In the first two chapters, they set the scene for the book of Exodus. We saw a difficult political climate uh, in cultural climate in Exodus 1, and then a man named Moses was introduced in chapter 2, and then uh, last week we saw, we saw God call Moses to a difficult task out of a burning bush. Last week was part one of this call uh, with Moses and God, and this week in chapter, chapter 4, we'll see the second half of the call as God continues to speak through Moses, uh, to Moses through a burning bush. Now, as we look at the first half, uh, as we looked at the first half of the interaction with God and Moses, it became very clear. Last week we saw that God uses imperfect people for His mission. We saw God's holiness and greatness uh, in contrast to Moses' unimpressiveness uh, and, and his doubt. You know, this is a scene that, re- this, that, uh, that, that cycles repeatedly throughout the Book of Exodus that God proves Himself to be faithful. Uh, and great and grand and glorious, and God's people see it and they worship God, and then soon after, uh, they're led into great doubt and unbelief. Uh, when things get difficult, we'll see this over and over again through the book of Exodus. Uh, and really, this cycle continues throughout the entire Bible, uh, and we'll see it again next week you know, when, when Patrick preaches on Exodus 5. But, but this week, and this week we'll see more of Moses' doubt, but what I want us to focus on and don't want us to miss. Is that although Moses shows great signs of doubt, he still walks in faithful obedience. And so that's what we're going to do. This idea of walking in faithful obedience in seasons of difficulty and doubt. And when we hear this phrase, faithful obedience, let me just state the obvious. It means obeying, right? It means being obedient. Something we say often in our home is listen and obey, meaning hear the words that I'm saying and then act accordingly. Don't ignore the words. Uh, don't just sit there. Don't just keep, don't keep playing or, or listen to the words and not do anything. Uh, it's kind of that idea of uh, delayed obedience is disobedience. You know, I think we get this. Obedience is easy for us to understand, but it's hard to do. But when I say faithful obedience, it's obeying when faith is required. Uh, when trusting God is a prerequisite to obedience. And, and so if you, if, you just, if you get it, if you get this. If you don't have faith in God, why would you obey God? Faithful obedience says, uh, God, I don't understand, but I trust you, so I'll obey. God, I know that you're good, so I'll obey. God, I'm in a season of doubt, or my emotions are driving me in a downward cycle or leading me to apathy or bitterness or fear, but I'm going to choose to obey you anyway. I'm going to walk in faithful obedience, even when I don't feel like it. And so that's where Moses is at the moment. Uh, we're going to see Moses show signs of doubt, but even in his doubt and fear, Moses walked in faithful obedience. And see that it was difficult for him, he was reluctant, uh, but by the time we get to the end of chapter 4, we'll see that after his time of doubt and fear, God showed Moses incredible grace that, led, that helped lead Moses to walk in faithful obedience that leads to worship. Uh, so with that said, I want to reread the last verse that we, we read last week uh, that was in the middle of Moses' Uh, dialogue with God and of God of God calling Moses. Uh, this is what God says out of the burning bush in verse twenty. We looked at this last week, but I want to read it. It says, "So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, you will let me go." No reminder that God's wonders, kind of that idea of God's wonders, God's power, is central 
these wonders are essential for God's people to get out of slavery. So verse 19, the verse right before this, God says, they won't let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. And so it's clear that if anything is going to happen, it's going to have to come from God's power. It's going to have to come from His mighty hand. His power and His mighty hand will be shown in wonders, it says in verse 20. So in our passage today, uh, we've got this theme of God's wonders so beginning to be displayed in chapter 4, but, uh, but yet almost every time we see God's wonders, it's paired with faithful obedience. We've got these two ideas of God's uh, power and wonders coming out when God's people obediently walk in faith. Which leads to our main point for today. God displays His wonders through faithful obedience. Now right after I say that, uh, we also know that God displays His power and wonders in times of great disobedience uh, when He shows incredible grace. We, we, we'll see that as well today. Uh, in essence, that's the gospel. We were incredibly disobedient in our sin, yet God displays His power and wondering by wonder by saving us out of our disobedience in remarkable grace. However, today we'll see how many of God's wonders, they won't be displayed unless God's people walk in faithful obedience. We'll, we'll see how... Uh, Faithful obedience is often the means that God uses to display His great power. Now, I, I don't, I don't know anything, uh, know much about Marvel movies. Uh, just as an illustration, if there's, if there's anything that cultivates superpowers uh, in the Christian life, walking in faithful obedience to God would be one for the Christian. Uh, this is a theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. Uh, when God's people obey God in faith. In season of doubt, despair, fear, and during an emotional roller coaster, when God's people choose to walk in faithful obedience, God then displays His great power and wonders. And so today, just like last week, we're going to walk through our text. I'm going to point out four points as we go. Uh, and each point is going to be anchored in how God's wonders are displayed. Now, I'm not going to give them to you all right now, uh, just because of how long it will take you to write them all down. Uh, I'm going to give them to you as we go. But in the midst of each wonder, we're going to see how faithful uh, we're going to see that faithful obedience is necessary at every turn. And so look what will be at the end of chapter 3, starting in verse 21. And we're going to see this, how this first, uh, this, we're going to see the first wonder displayed. Which might I add, it doesn't really seem like a wonder at first. This is what uh, chapter 3, verse 21 says, starting in verse 21. And I will give these people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall, shall ask her neighbor. And any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. To rephrase it, God just told Moses that they would plunder the Egyptians and their women would get all the jewelry. And all they would have to do is just ask for it in faithful obedience. So I want to put some context into all of this. Because during this time, what, what, what happens here with getting the spoils, you know, getting, getting, these, getting this, the jewelry from war, the spoils of war, is a sign of overwhelming victory. He's essentially telling Moses, you won't just get out of slavery and escape, but rather you will be victorious over the Egyptians and your people, they will be blessed by it. And so he's turning to read today, I thought it was kind of funny. He said, when God is victorious, your women, they'll get to go shopping. So, which leads us to our first point. Uh, number one, God's wonders are shown through victory. Uh, something that's interesting about this is that what we know later is that these spoils, just these, these things that they got out of the Egyptians, they, they used these spoils to later build the tabernacle 
which is often referred to as God's house. Now, I want, I want you guys to try to follow me here for a second, uh, because we see here that God shows favor to His people by blessing them after victory in war with gifts to build God's house. This is a theme that runs throughout the, throughout the Old Testament. When God, bring, when God brings victory to the captive, typically in war, He follows it with gifts and blessings. And the Apostle Paul, in Ephesians 4, he uses this concept to show how when God delivers His people out of spiritual bondage from sin and death, showing victory, he then, he then, God, he then gives His people, His church, he gives, he gives His church spiritual gifts as a blessing. So stay with me here. So if, if you're a Christian here today and you have been delivered out of bondage, in victory from sin and death by trusting in Jesus, God displays His wonders in your life by providing spiritual gifts for you to use as a blessing for the church. And so a quick question to consider, how are we using these gifts God has given us as a sign of victory over sin and death in our life? And will we be obedient to walk in faith, in faithful obedience as an act of faith? There's so much we could say here. I'll briefly take sake of time, I want to keep moving. So look at, look at chapter 4, starting at verse 4. And then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. So let's, let's take note here that Moses' doubt, again, if you remember from last week, this is now the third concern Moses raises to God. The first, uh, Who am I that I should go? And then the second we saw last week was, who am I? What am I going to say? And now he's saying, what if they don't believe me? And say, I say that no, uh, God didn't really appear to you. So in here, uh, we see Moses' lack of confidence. His doubt was in what God called him to do. God called him to trust God and deliver a message, and then God would move in power. And Moses, in this moment, is worried that they won't believe him. When God just told Moses, that's not Moses' job. Moses' job is to tell the message in faithful obedience, and God's job is to move in power. So Moses, in this moment, was quick to doubt God, thinking uh, that it was up to Moses, thinking it was up to him to make these people believe, counting them out before he actually says anything. And then God shows much grace and patience and gives three signs to spur on Moses' faith. And look at that first sign starting in verse 2. It says, The Lord said to him, What is it? What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and pick it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared. This is fascinating to me. God says, hey, Moses, uh, you've got a staff in your hand, so throw it on the ground. And he throws it on the ground. He turns it into a, it turns into a snake, uh, into a snake, which is likely a cobra. It's widely believed it was a cobra, which, let's be honest, they're not the nicest snakes. Uh, the best snake is a dead snake. Satan is portrayed as a snake for many reasons uh, because they're just plain evil, okay? Uh, and then Moses runs, rightfully so. I would probably run, too. Um, I don't know if we have any professional snake handlers in the room here today, but there's uh, one thing I've learned about snakes. And it's not because I've done this for myself, it's because I've got uh, friends that have a strange obsession with finding snakes. 
uh, and posting them on social media. And two years ago, I watched my brother-in-law completely manhandle a snake in the yard with his bare hands. Uh, the one thing I know about handling a snake is that you do not pick up that snake by yourself. Uh, you grab it by the neck, so it won't eat you alive. Okay? Uh, and so what does God tell Moses to do? He says, grab this cobra by the tail. Uh, this feels like just a, a, a full-on death sentence to me. Uh, just go home. I've, I've been watching YouTube videos of this. Go home and watch YouTube videos of cobras and certified guarantee that you will have uh, way more respect for the faith of Moses to pick up that cobra by the tail. Okay? Uh, so God said, pick up the snake by the tail. Moses walked in faithful obedience, and God displayed his great power uh, by immediately turning the snake back into a staff. Then look at the second time. Verse 6, again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. Uh, So he put his hand back inside his cloak. When he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. At this point, I would just be freaking out uh, because Moses, he sticks his hand in his coat, comes out, bam. It's it's leprosy. He's got leprosy. And God says, Put it back in your coat, bam. Clean. Uh, it seems like magic, which, let me remind you, uh, is what Jesus' enemies thought when he healed lepers himself, showing here that God's power is over sickness, uh, which is what Jesus put on display in the Gospel accounts. We saw it in the Gospel of Mark in our last series, showing yet again that Jesus is the great I Am that God portrays, that we see here, that God portrays in the book of Exodus. And look what happens next, God says uh, in verse 8, our, our, last, our last sign here. It says that they will not believe you, God said, uh, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall not take, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. So this is the last sign here, and he tells Moses to take water out of the Nile, uh, pour it on the ground, and it will become blood. I don't really know what to think of this. Um, interesting, uh, but nonetheless, that, this, this last sign is prepared, it's preparing Moses for the plagues that are to come, which we'll get to later in the book of Exodus. And in all of this, what I want us to see as our second point is God's wonders are shown through signs. God's wonders are shown through signs. There's, there's no doubt about it. These signs, they show God's power and they show God's wonders. But the point of these signs, the point of these signs are to embolden Moses' faith. For him to see God's power, for him to see what he has, the power that he has at his disposal. But more specifically, uh, these signs were used to embolden Moses' faith to fulfill the call of proclaiming God's message. So God gave Moses a sign and he showed his power through it. And for us today, maybe we think that's kind of nice. Uh, it would be nice if God would just give me a sign like that. God, you know, if God could just turn my golf club maybe into a sign, uh, that'd be cool. I mean, into a snake, that'd be cool. Maybe, right? Uh, possibly thinking if God gave me a sign like that, my faith uh, would be emboldened too. But may we not forget that God has already given us a sign. Our sign that God that shows God's power and shows God's wonder that God displayed to spur us on towards God's mission, it, was an, it is an empty tomb. Our sign is an empty tomb. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, and we put our faith in Him. Our sins are forgiven. Our sins are paid in full. That's our sign. 
That's our sign that emboldens our faith. The empty tomb shows, shows that God is alive, living within us and empowering us to fill the call He has put on our lives. Listen, Jesus, Jesus didn't pick up the serpent by the tail. No, at the cross, the Bible tells us Jesus grabbed hold of the serpent, our enemy, to one day crush the serpent's head. Jesus, is, uh, Jesus didn't heal a hand of leprosy by putting it back in his pocket. No, Jesus healed the entire body and the entire and, and, and a leper's eternal soul. Jesus didn't pour blood on the ground from the river. No, uh, Jesus poured out his blood on the cross as the river of life. Listen, we don't need another sign. God has already given us the greatest sign by sending Jesus to the cross and the followers of Jesus. The sign of an empty tomb is more than sufficient to spur us on towards mission. Proclaiming the message that God has entrusted to us. We get that from, we're, we're empowered by that by the empty tomb. And so if you remember, Moses was afraid that the people would not listen to him. And he was acting as if it were up to him to make them believe uh, when God has already told them otherwise. Remember that Moses' call was to proclaim a message, to walk in faithful obedience, and God would do the rest. Mystery Church, listen. In the midst of a global pandemic, God has called us to proclaim the message of the gospel. May we not fall into the same trap of showing unbelief to those around us, to those who do not yet believe. Our call as Christians is to tell the gospel is to tell the wonders of the cross that we not make excuses for our friends, neighbors, and coworkers who do not yet believe, thinking, "Oh, well, uh, they don't want to. They don't want to hear that. It will feel intrusive." I believe in my whole heart that the people around us are more open to spiritual conversations now more than ever. A simple but gut-wrenching question to consider, and that I've kind of wrestled with this week myself, is who in your life. Have you already counted out an experience of showing unbelief towards you? This is super convicting. I'm thinking to myself right now. What if God wants to save someone that we know, but we are showing unbelief for them before we ever speak the gospel to them? What neighbor or coworker or friend have we spent six months to a year with and never shared Jesus with? And one of the core values as a church that we hold to is missional urgency. We must continue to kindle this and reestablish this in the life of our church. We've been given the sign of the resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead and has given us new life as a sign of God's power. Let's proclaim the message of redemption to a world that is searching. This week, this past week, I started praying to pray fervently in boldness and in faith that God would bring a harvest of salvation even in the middle of a global pandemic when it feels like the odds are not in our favor. This is our exodus burning bush moment. God came during a cultural crisis in Exodus 1 and called misfit, lowly Moses to go and tell people of his great name and then God would move in power. I'm so eager and so jealous to see God save someone through our efforts. And I've convinced in my own heart that it will not be because of a lack of faith or lack of obedience or lack of prayer. The greatest thing our, our, world, reads right now, our world needs right now is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we may, may we proclaim it in power and in boldness. And I get it. There are a lot of uh, reasons and excuses to not do this, uh, which is exactly what Moses gives next, showing more God. Look what he says starting in verse 6. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, 
either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow in speech and of tongue. Moses didn't think he spoke very well. Uh, he was worried about his speech. But there's a lot of theories on what he was talking, what he meant when he said all this. But you know, like maybe he had a stuttering problem. Maybe he was just nervous about it, having stage fright. Maybe he lacked confidence, or maybe maybe he just had a little bit of a shepherd's accent, or kind of spoke in a shepherd's twang. You know, uh, who knows? We don't know for sure. But what we do know is that Moses doubted because of his fear of speaking. And I think we can agree that this is common today. Uh, you know, this is very common for aspiring teachers to feel this way. I personally felt this way for a long time. And it's also common for missionaries learning a new language and also for those that lack confidence in evangelism, thinking, I'm not eloquent. What if I mess up? What if, what if they ask me a question? Uh, what, what, if, what if they say no? What if they laugh? Or just, how will I do it? How am I even going to get to the conversation? How am I going to bring it up? Like Moses, we want to do it, but there is fear and doubt that rises to the surface, specifically when we speak the gospel. But for whatever reason, and I would say that it's primarily because we have an enemy, but for whatever reason, reason speaking the gospel to people incites fear and discomfort in the one who's speaking. Like Moses going to Pharaoh, uh, the reality is it, it probably would not be received well, and it may not be received well when we speak the gospel to people, because the gospel is controversial. It's intrusive. The message of the gospel is offensive. Just, just like Moses going to Pharaoh, that was likely offensive too. As we've said, Moses' job was to speak, but he was afraid to speak. And so what does God say to Moses? Let's start here, verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. God is reminding Moses of his power over Moses' mouth, over Moses' inability, his inadequacy, saying, who has made man's mouth? Reminding Moses, I made you. I'm over you entirely. I'm the creator God. I'm in control of all things, including your mouth, Moses. Which shows us our third point. God's wonders are so despite limited credentials. Moses didn't think he had the skill set or the credentials to do what God called him to do. Uh, but God wanted to use him anyway uh, to display his power. Throughout the Bible, we know that God uses weakness for his glory. We know in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says this, God's power is made perfect in weakness. God's power is made perfect in weakness, which is, uh, what, is uh, what is it that God wants to do in your life through one of your weaknesses to display his power? More specifically, what fear or weakness do you have in sharing the gospel? Maybe step into that fear this week. Maybe step into it in faithful obedience and see how God can use it in power. You know, I told you last week, the book of Exodus has been very formative for me in my own life. Uh, and, and these specific verses are a major part of why I'm standing before you today. Growing up, all through school, elementary school through high school, I, I have many very, very vivid memories of being had a stage fright or freezing giving a class presentation, not wanting to raise my hand in class because I didn't want to speak when the whole class was listening because of how poorly it went most of the time. And later, when I was in college, reading through Exodus, after I became a Christian you know, in high school, these, these verses, they stopped me. And one of my greatest fears growing up, uh, before I was even a Christian, one of my greatest fears growing up was becoming a preacher. Uh, but I remember... I, I mean, I remember very vividly being terrified of it when I was six or seven years old. I felt exactly how Moses felt. I felt pinned down. I felt fearful. I was full of doubt, thinking maybe, 
Maybe I could be a missionary. Uh, maybe I could do something else, which is similar to what Moses says next to God. But he, this is what he says in verse 13. He said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. God, send someone else. Have you ever had that thought? God, would you send someone else to my neighbor? Or would you send someone else to, to show himself? God, would you send someone else to those unreached people? Or, or would you send someone else to that, to this city or to that city or to that neighborhood? You know, the temptation may be to think maybe instead of sharing the gospel with someone, I can just, uh, just keep loving them and being kind to them, which is, which is good. But what God wants us to do is to speak the gospel. He, God wants to use your mouth, my mouth, for, to proclaim the gospel in power. And what's alarming to me, and what was alarming to me back in college, with these verses, when I was wrestling with this passage in college, uh, and what's also being alarming to us, this next phrase in verse 14, this is what it says. It says, Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. The Moses' continual doubt, it kindled God's anger. That's what that says. God had a righteous anger towards Moses because of his continual doubt. Moses doubted God multiple times, and each time God gave Moses reasons to trust him. And then after the fifth sign of mistrust, God's anger was kindled. That's how Piper put it. He said, God got angry because there is hardly greater, any, there's hardly a greater insult you can pay to someone than to say, I don't trust you. You can't be counted. Moses' problem was our problem. Time and time again, God shows himself faithful. And time and time again, we show doubt and unbelief and distrust. And so we must ask ourselves, in what area of our lives are we struggling to trust God? Who are we hesitant to share the gospel with? What is holding us back to do what God has called us to do? You know, there are several things that we may struggle to trust God with. Matt Stanley points out three different things. In the American church, specifically, the first is evangelism, which we've talked about at length already. And the second is giving. You know, are you struggling to trust God with your finances to be a generous giver? And then the third, which Matt Taylor points out, is, is serving. You know, not being a church consumer, but seeking to serve the church. Now, I don't know what it is, but maybe it's hard to trust God to forgive someone. Maybe it's hard to trust God in your circumstances. Maybe it's hard to trust God with your future. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe, maybe there's a desire for marriage that just doesn't seem even remotely feasible at the moment. Maybe you're just fed up with the current cultural climate, climate and just done. You just want to crawl into a hole and move to a remote island in the middle of nowhere. I don't know what it is. <laughs> may we protect our hearts from being callous and bitter, and may we be sensitive to trusting the Spirit of God in our lives. Where is it that God is calling us to point those things? Time and time again, Moses says, doubt. God reveals himself power, tries to embolden Moses. Moses doubts and angers God, but let's not, let's not miss God's incredible grace and grace that he shows Moses in this moment. His, his, his anger is kindled, yet right after that, he shows grace and patience. In the second half of the verse, this is what it says. It says, He said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. 
he shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him, and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the sign. And God is angered, but and God shows incredible grace and sends to him Aaron to speak to him, to go with him as a partner in ministry. And what's interesting about this is that what we later see is that what we later see is that Moses is actually the one who speaks the most. Uh, but, but something I want to draw out of this is a point of application is that each of us have a call to make disciples. Uh, we're, we're called to be tellers of good news and to make disciples. And something that we see established here, that we see throughout the entire Bible, is that we are stronger in pairs than we are alone. We're prone to doubt and fear when we're alone. And so God's grace and patience to us and for us is to have partners in ministry, to have errands with us, to hold us accountable, to go with us and to go speak with us. And so hear me on this. If we're not regularly speaking God's truth to people, God's grace to us is for us to have an errand in our life. Someone who will go with us to be accountable for us and encourage us to hold us accountable to do the exact, the exact thing that God has called us to do, which is to be a herald and a proclaimer of good news towards a world that is searching for hope, healing, restoration, and good news. So who do we need to ask today? This week to be an area in our life that will help us walk in faithful obedience. Who do we need to ask to help us walk in faithful obedience to the call in our life so that God's power may be displayed through us? Maybe, uh, maybe your first step of faithful obedience today is to ask someone to help you walk in faithful obedience. Let's not wait for someone to hold us accountable. Let's ask someone to hold us accountable. I want to keep moving here because we've got a lot left in uh, chapter 4. So I'm going to summarize the next little bit of, of chapter 4, and, and then we're going to close out our time on this. Um, and so after Moses is aware, makes uh, Moses, after God makes Moses aware of Aaron going with him, being his partner in ministry, after God finishes speaking to Moses with the burning bush, Moses then goes back to his father-in-law, Jethro's house, uh, and then God sends him back. Uh, he and his family, they go to, he sends them to Egypt. God reminds him of his call, and then he brings up this interesting detail that we'll get to later in the series. God says, to, gives an extra detail. He says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, so he will let my people go. Like I said, we're going we're gonna to put that to later in the series. Uh, and then for those that love a good puzzle to figure out, there's this intriguing encounter that just feels like it comes out of nowhere in verse 24 and 26, although I think it's pretty good to look at. But we're gonna, and it's showing how Moses uh, was out of covenant obedience here, and they fixed they fixed that by, by circumcising Moses' son. And then uh, Moses meets Aaron, uh, gets him up to speed on God's plan. And then we read to, to finish out our chapter, to finish out chapter 4, starting in verse 29. This is what it says. So then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. When they heard the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. So in our last and final point, God's wonders lead to worship. Here we see Moses and Aaron gather the elders of Israel walking in faithful obedience to do what God has called them to do. It says Aaron speaks and Moses performs the signs and the people believe. It says in verse 31. Just, just imagine what the people of Israel were experiencing. It had been hundreds of years of what seemed like silence from God. And it says, they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel. 
Lord had seen their affliction and their response. Their response was to bow their head and worship, being reminded that God has not forgotten them. Moses walked in faithful obedience, and God displayed His power through Israel's belief, and their response was to worship. I want to remind you from last week, at the beginning of chapter 3, we saw that God's holiness, God's holiness was the foundation for God's mission. And here we see that worship is the fruit of God's mission. Moses worshipped God when he encountered His holiness. God called Moses to proclaim God's message. Moses walked in faithful obedience, and it was hard and difficult, and he was full of doubt. And then the end result was that a whole people were on their faces, bowing down in worship. Here we are. This worship is the beginning and the end of God's mission. Worship is the beginning and the end of God's mission. We're led to worship by God's holiness. We're sent out on mission out of His holiness. We walk in faithful obedience and worshipful trust of God, which then leads to greater worship for God, which again, it displays God's wonder. Moses' personal worship led to faithful obedience in the midst of doubt, which in turn, it led to greater corporate worship, where others are spurred on to worship God. Brothers and sisters, I want to close by asking what part of this process is missing in your life? Are you encountering God's holiness? Are you worshiping God personally? Are you worshiping God consistently? Are you delighting in Jesus? Are you reminding yourself of the gospel daily? If so, is it is it spurring you on to walk in faithful obedience, to trust God, to do and to speak what God has called us to do and to speak? And if so, there's no doubt in my mind. When we walk in faithful obedience, God will display His wonders and His power through us. I don't, I don't know how, but I don't, I don't know what it will look like. Maybe, maybe it's just a softer touch. Maybe it's displaying greater trust. Maybe it's a reconciled relationship, or maybe it's salvation for a friend. I don't know how God will display His power as we walk in faithful obedience, but I do know that when we do, those around us are spurred on to worship the Lord by witnessing our faithful obedience. What great wonders does God want to display through you that will require walking in faithful obedience? I'm praying and hoping that it would lead to a greater heart of worship of God. This is our Exodus Martin book, Close Memory. God wants to display His wonder through our faithful obedience of God. Father, You're good. You are faithful even when we are not faithful. Father, I pray that in our seasons of doubt, in our times of doubt, that we would still walk in obedience, that we would walk in faith, and that we would see Your mighty hand, Your mighty power, and Your wonders being displayed. Father, we're so jealous you move in power. Father, we pray that you would change our own hearts, you would soften our hearts, that you would tear down walls, that you would spur us on towards mission. Father, we, we, we love you. 